memorize these verses, verses 12 through 14. I think they're great ones to submit to memory and to have with you all the time. Let me read these verses for us. Jesus says, I assure you. Some of your translations say, truly, truly. He's saying, you, you can bank on this. this. This is a statement you should remember. The one, and you could actually translate that anyone, anyone who believes in me will also do the works that I do. And he'll do even greater works than these. We've been trying to understand what that really means and how that happens. How would he will do even greater works than these because I'm going to the Father. Whatever you ask in my name, I'll do it so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. And if you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. May God add his blessing to the reading of his word. We, I think some ways to kind of step into this conversation today without kind of putting it in context where, with where we've been would be difficult. So let me just do a bit of review for us today in terms of what we've been working through. And we first came to this passage with really a sense of amazement. How is it that we could do greater works than Jesus? I mean, didn't he raise people from the dead? I mean, didn't he feed like 5,000 people with a happy meal? You know, and those kinds of, I mean, just, just, this, how does this happen? And what we discovered was that this is really not so much about us doing greater works, but it's about Jesus. Jesus had a passion while he was on the planet to glorify the Father. Everything he did, every miracle, every action, everything he taught was somehow or another to bring glory to the Father. Now that he's back in heaven, it's still his same passion. He wants to glorify the Father. And through that, he has a heart, a plan to do greater works through us so that the Father can be glorified. It's all about Jesus. But then we really began to kind of figure out, well, what what does it really mean to believe then? And what we discovered was that many of us, when it comes to the issue of experiencing greater living in our lives, we struggle with a faith in a God who is too small. And and what, what we understood in the midst of that is that we have a lot of faith in what God can do with us after we die, but it's the part of the living here and now that we really struggle with God being God. You know, I know that God can take me to eternity. He can forgive me because of what Jesus did on the cross, all that kind of stuff. I can walk the streets of gold for all eternity, but he cannot give me the strength to deal with my boss at work tomorrow. You know what I mean? And, and, and we struggle through a lot of those issues because we're, we're focused on the one that he's calling ourselves instead of looking at the one who's doing the calling. We're, we're looking at our circumstances instead of really trusting in the Lord of the circumstances. And with that, we begin to shut down the greater living that can happen in our lives. Last week, we recognized that in order to begin to live this greater life, we have to be ready to leave the lesser life behind. I mean, Abraham couldn't inherit the promised land until he left his country, his family, his home behind. And he never returned. Elisha couldn't move out on this great role of being a prophet until he was ready to slaughter the oxen that were his living and burn them up with the yoke and the plow that was underneath it. Peter couldn't walk on water until he got out of the boat. So we have to be willing to get out of the boat to leave lesser living behind before we ever begin to experience greater living. But you're smart people. And, and I'm not as smart as you guys, but I, 
I realized that, all right, if I'm going to get out of the boat, there's one thing I ought to know. How is it that I can actually walk on water? <laughs> you know what I mean? If I, I'm not going to leave lesser living behind, if I'm going to, how is it that I actually walk on water? Uh, that seems to be a pretty important question, isn't it? I mean, if we're going to climb out of the boat with the wind blowing and the waves roaring and etc., how is it that I know how to walk on the water? That's what I'd like to talk to you about today. And I'd like to do so from this text. And really, when you look at this text, the answer to knowing how to live with the greater life, to walk on the water, is all about prayer. Isn't it? Well, let's go back and just, Jesus says, I assure you, the one who believes in me will also do the works that I do. And even greater works than these will he do because I go to the Father. And he, then he goes on and says, whatever you ask in my name, I'll do it. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. The, the key to walking on the water is all about the art of the ask. How, how are we, what are we asking God for? And how are we asking God for it? And, and i got to tell you, I think in many of our lives, the place is where we are failing to experience the greater life lays itself at the feet of the fact that we struggle with the ask. Let me give you four things to think about from this text that are related to asking God no, to be able to walk on the water, to live the greater life. And... and and the first of these is the, the reason why we struggle with experiencing a greater life is that we're just not asking God for it. He says, if you ask, I'm going to give it to you. What does James tell us? You have not because you ask not. Jesus said, if you ask, you'll receive. If you seek, you're going to find. If you knock, the door's going to be open to you. Well, the reason we're not receiving is because we're not asking for it. The reason we're not finding this is because we're not seeking it. The reason we're not having the door open to us is because we're not knocking on the door. I want to bring you up to, I, I want to use an illustration from the Old Testament about this whole issue. Because I, I think really what, what, what's happening is that God is saying, ask me. And we're just not asking for enough. You know, we're, God, God's willing to give us greater living, and we're just praying for His strength so that we can endure the lesser living. Do you know what I mean? Let me, let me give you just a story. And I, I used this at our, our men's breakfast a couple of weeks ago. And, and so, so for some of you, it's going to be reviewed, but it's, it's, it's great stuff. And, and we need to understand it because this is where many of us are experiencing a power failure when it comes to actually experiencing the greater living in our lives is because we're just not asking for it. There was a great prophet in the Old Testament. His name was Elijah. Some of you know some of the stories of Elijah. You know, Elijah is that guy who, who got announced the drought and there was no water in the land for three years. Not a drop. For three years, they looked for Elijah high and low. God finally said to Elijah, it's time to go back. He goes back, he announces himself he says, you tell the king and his wife to gather all the prophets of Baal, this alternate God that they had been worshiping. Tell them to meet me on the top of Mount Carmel, and we're going to see who's God. So here's Elijah. He's all by himself, 400 to 1, and he's got the authorities on his side. 
And he said, you know what? Let's, let's see who's really God. You guys can go first. Build your altar. Call on your God. Let's see if he can drop flame from heaven and consume your offering. They start up. Nothing happens. All day long, they're all the incantations, all their prayers. They're slashing themselves. Damage, nothing happens. Elijah builds his altar, pours water on it, pours more water on it, just makes it inflammable. And then he prays and the fire falls. And there's total victory. This is the Elijah that we're talking about. Then he gets down on his knees and he starts to pray. And he prays seven times. And then after three years of no rain, the storms come rolling in. So much so that the chariots are getting stuck in the mud because everything is just so, so drenched with water. This is a powerful prophet. Somewhere along the line, God invited, instructed him to call a successor. So Elijah called Elisha to follow him. Elisha, we looked at him last week. He gives up his old lifestyle. He embraces and he follows Elijah. In 2 Kings chapter 2, here, um, Elijah's ready to leave the planet. He's one of two guys in all the Bible who didn't experience physical death before going to heaven. And God sends these chariots of fire out of heaven to scoop him up and to take him. Right? So Elijah, Elisha is following along after Elijah. And, and he doesn't want to let go of him. Three different times, Elijah, Elijah is kind of testing Elisha, saying, you just stay here, I'm going to go on to the next city. And, and Elisha says, I'm not letting you out of my sight. So they go from Gilgal to Beth, Bethel to Jericho, and then across the Jordan River. And finally, literally, the, the, the chariots of fire on their final landing pattern, ready to pick up Elijah. And he looks at Elisha and he says, what is it that you want me to do for you? Okay. And this is what Elisha answered. As he looks at the prophet, the guy who called fire down out of heaven, the guy who brought people back to life who were dead, the people, the guy who could pray and a three-year drought could be ended, the guy who could touch the Jordan River and, and divide it just with his garment, he looks at him and he says, please let, there, l- let me get twice as much of your spirit. G- give me a double portion of your spirit. Verse 9, it says, Elisha, Elijah says, tell me, what can I do for you before I am taking from you? And Elisha answered, please let there be a double portion of your spirit on me. It's I'd like you going up to Warren Buffett on his deathbed and say, I want to make, would you show me how to make twice as much money as you've made, twice as fast as you've made it? You know, I mean, this, this is a big, hairy, audacious request, okay? He said, give me a double portion of your spirit. Okay? Now, I want to contrast Elisha. He's got the moment to ask. He says, God, I want you to give me all of you that you can possibly give me. I, I want it all. Okay? Elisha gets down to the end of his life. 2 Kings chapter 13. And, and King Joash is at his wit's end. He's been dependent upon Elisha and his leadership and his power and his kingdom and and he's lying on his deathbed, unable to do anything. And, and his enemies are bearing down on him from the kingdom of Aram. And, and, he, and he comes to Elisha and he, and he says, you know, my father, my father, the chariots of, of Israel and its horsemen, meaning that, you know, you, you're about ready to leave the planet. What am I going to do without you here? I got all these problems I got to fix. 
And so Elisha, knowing that he needs a military victory over Aram, says, pick up a bow and arrow. We pick up the story. And he says, and Elisha lays his hands on him, saying that God's adding his blessing to this request. And he says, take the arrow. So he, and, and, he, and he says, shoot it. And they, and they shoot it out the east window in the direction of his foe. And then he says, now take the arrow and strike the ground. And the king takes the arrow and he, and he strikes the ground once and he strikes it twice and he strikes it three times. He strikes the ground. And this is the reaction of, of Elisha. He says, the man of God was angry with him. And he said, you should have struck the ground five or six times. Then you would have struck down Aram until you had put an end to them. But, but now you will only strike Aram three times. He said, you know what? You had your moment. You didn't ask for enough. You just asked for survival. You didn't ask for victory. Now, here you got this contract of Elisha. He gets his moment. He says, God, I want a double portion of your spirit. And then you have Joash who just says, God, I just want to get by. I got to tell you, one of the reasons why a lot of us aren't experiencing the greater life is we're just not asking for it. We're just not asking for it. We're like, God, I, I'm in a hard place. Just give me the strength to get by. And saying, God, you know what? I wanted you to give me total victory in the midst of all of my difficulties. You know, we struggle with all of that. You know, Jesus says, whatever you ask for. You don't ask for it, you're never going to have it. A lot of us are just praying for enough strength to get by. We're not really asking God for all that he can do for us. Some of us, we're struggling because we're just trying to do this all ourselves. You know, we're, we're, we're trying to do the greater life all by ourselves. Look at verse 13 with me in John chapter 14. It says, whatever you ask in my name, you'll do it. Is that what it says? How about verse 14? If you ask me anything in my name, you will do it. Is that what it says? says, I will do it, right? You know, part of the problem for many of us is that we're trying to do the greater life ourselves. We're just trying to do it ourselves. You know, and, and that's not the way it works. The whole portion thing is that Jesus, from his position now in heaven, is trying to glorify the Father by what he does through us in the world. And yet we think that we have to get out there and we're going to glorify God by demonstrating how much we love Jesus rather than letting Jesus demonstrate how much he loves the Father through us. You know, it, it's... When you look at the Scriptures in, in the early church, it was all about what Jesus was doing through them. It was Jesus doing the stuff. What, what, did, what did Jesus say when, you know... He interrupted Paul's journey to Damascus, right? And Jesus shows up. Paul had been persecuting the church and was trying to stamp them all out. Now he's even trying to go to the, the capital of a foreign nation to gather up all the, the heretic Jews and drag them back to Jerusalem because they believed in Jesus. And they meet him on the, he, Jesus meets them on the road and he says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, well, who are you? He said, I am Jesus. Well, Paul's thinking, I didn't persecute you. I've beat up on a bunch of Christians, but I haven't persecuted you. I mean, there's an identity there, isn't there? 
The time put Peter looks at Ananias right in the eyes, so it's paralyzed guys, and he says, Jesus Christ heals you. He doesn't say, I heal you in the name of Christ. He says, Jesus Christ heals you. Part of this is that we, we think that this is something we have to do. It's something we let God do through us. That's why the very next words out of Jesus' mouth are, if you love me, you obey my commandments. Do you want this to happen? Learn how to let me do this through you, by you obeying me. You know, see, a lot of times we, we, we come and we, we get into the Word, we, we come to a worship service or whatever, and we, get, we, we just, God, God stirs our hearts. And we run out of here and say, I'm going to fix this. And, 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 and we, we take it on. But I tell you what, the kind of greater living we're talking about, you can't buy it. You can't think it up. You can't plan it. You can't organize it. I mean, God can use all of that stuff, but it's stuff that God has to do. And part of the problem is that we're trying to do this ourselves instead of letting God do it through us. There's also a sense in which I think, I mean, this is all built on prayer, right? A lot of us, we're just confused about prayer, aren't we? You know, we read this passage and it says, you know, whatever you ask in my name, I will do it. You know, and, and, and listen, this, I'm not trying to minimize this is serious stuff. We, we, there's a lot of hurt, a lot of confusion. Sometimes, you know, my brother got cancer, and I prayed for him. I mean, wouldn't it have been a good thing, honoring thing, glorifying thing to God if God had healed him? And he died from it. You know, or, and yet we look at somebody else, and they get healed from it. Well, I don't understand. I'm confused. Isn't if, if I ask for it in his name, isn't he supposed to give it to me? Why did it happen? I, I tell you, I had a, just a powerful experience here a few years ago. There was, you know, some of you remember, our, we have a number of w, WPI students who worship with us on a regular basis, and they had just been off on their retreat. And as they were leaving the retreat center, literally on this small country road, their, their, their big Greyhound-style bus tipped over on the side of the road, just laid over on its side. And, you know, a bunch of students on it, and not a single student got hurt. We had a couple of them stand in in our pulpit and give testimony just how God's protective grace was around them. A few days later, I had a woman come into my office and sat down, and she said, you know, I prayed for my 20-year-old son every single day for God to protect him. And he was killed in a car accident out on I-190. Where, where was the God who protected those WPI students when my kid was going off the road? And we get confused about prayer, don't we? I, I, I thought I was supposed to work this way. And I stand before you this morning, I don't have the answer to all those questions. I, I, I don't have, a, you know, God said, all things work for the good of those who love the Lord. Well, where's the good in that? I don't have all the answers to that. I don't. But I will tell you this. If I could figure out all of God's ways, he wouldn't be a God that I would want to follow. You know, I I think about all the stuff in my life that I cannot master. And somehow or another, I'm going to figure out a God who can orchestrate the lives of billions of people on the planet for century after century, for all of eternity. How's that work? 
mean, I, I, I can't figure out how to fix my computer. I'm trying to print this morning to my printer, and it won't print. I can't even figure that out. How in the world am I going to figure out how it is that God works all this stuff to his good? I mean, I didn't think I really even figured out what life was really all about until my mid to late 40s, and by the time I got to 50, I started losing my memory, you know? I mean, and, and, and somehow or another, I'm supposed to figure this all out? And, and, and I am not trying to minimize the agony in those journeys and those prayer things, but I got to tell you, you do not want to follow a God that you think you can outthink. You don't. You don't. I mean, it took you till you were seven years old to figure out how to tie your own shoes. And you want to be able to figure out the God who's running the universe for all? I, I don't get So, yeah, it's confusing, but, but trust in the goodness of God. Because God does work all things for the good of those who love the Lord. You know, we get into those prayer things and we get disoriented because we don't think stuff happens the way that we think it would really be better. And, and we get confused and we give up on prayer and we sacrifice the greater life that goes with it. We're not asking for it. We're seeking to do too much of it ourselves, and we're not sure how it all works. I think the last point I'd really like to bring out to you is that we, part of the problem is that just our, kind of our motives are all wrong. You know, Jesus said, you know, you have to ask in my name. That means our motives for our prayer requests have to be in alignment with his motives for answering it. And his motive is simply this, what? To glorify the Father. That's what he says in verse 14, isn't it? He says, I will do it so that my Father may be glorified in the Son. You know, a lot of times, the reason we're not experiencing the greater life is because we're just asking with the wrong motives. Now, I'm not telling you it's a bad thing to pray that you find a job if you're out of work. It's not a bad thing. I'm not saying it's a bad thing to pray for your parent or your child or a sibling or a spouse who's sick, they, that they would recover. It's, it's a good thing to pray for that. You know, that marriages would stay together. So those are all good things to pray for. But, but there's a different kind of prayer that's really built on trying to glorify the Father through the Son. Let me give you an example. You pray about God using you. I mean, what's, what's on the heart of Christ is to reach people, right? He came to seek and to save that which was lost. That's what's on his heart. You pray for God to use you as a powerful instrument to reach your neighbors, to reach your colleagues, to reach your fellow students, to reach your family. God's going to answer that request. I don't know how many of us are really answering that. Asking, God, how many of us are actually praying the prayer, God, Give me the chance in the next month to share my faith with every single person who's in my unit at work. I mean, we, we're asking those kind of prayers. God's going to answer those kind of prayers. You know, we have, uh, I'm in a prayer group with a pastor friend of mine, and their church is experiencing a major milestone this week and having a big celebration and been stuff going on all weekend. And he, he, was, he shared with us, he says, I'm kind of afraid that we're going to have this big single service on Sunday morning and the place is only going to be kind of like two-thirds full and it's going to be kind of a, a bummer, you know, it's just not going to be that great. And, and, and so he's really challenging his church to go out there and just invite their friends to, c to come to this service. And he had one of his elders come to him. He said, you know, I've been going to this church for a long, long time. 
to, I've been an elder here off and on for a long, long time. He says, I cannot remember the last time I invited somebody to come to our church. I, I, I don't know how that strikes many of you, how long it's been since you've invited somebody to come to this church or go to any church. You know, and so this guy says, I'm really convicted about this, and I'm asking God to show me how to do this. And this guy, he got copies of their bulletins, and he went to every single person in their neighborhood. He said, you know, some of them say, you know, I've been living next to you for five years, eight years, 10 years, 20 years, or whatever. We've talked about how to make the grass greener and about our kids and about the bad storms we've had when we're out shoveling, snow blowing, and we've talked about sports and all this other kind of stuff. He said, but I've never invited you to come to my church. I'd like to invite you to come. And he invited every single one of his neighbors. You start asking those kind of prayers, God's going to answer them. God's going to answer them. You, you, you start thinking about, okay, you know, every single person who's a follower of Jesus Christ needs to be plugged into a spiritual community. Praise God, there's lots of great spiritual communities to be a part of, but you've got to be plugged into something. There is Faith is a team sport. You've got to do this with other people. You just have to. That's the way God's designed it. You start praying, God, make me the spiritual Velcro that holds people to the fellowship. God's going to answer that prayer. Going to answer that prayer. Because that's smack dab in his heart. He's praying that we would be one as he and Jesus are one. You know what I mean? He's going to answer that prayer. You know, you, you start talking about growing in the character of Christ. You know, that that we would all grow into the fullness of the stature of the, of the fullness of Christ. That we would all become Christ. You start praying that prayer for yourself, God's going to answer that prayer. You start praying, say, God, make me the most sacrificial giver at Hope Chapel. Right? You guys are all signing up for that, right? Make me the most sacrificial giver at Hope Chapel. God's going to honor that prayer. God, give me insight. Let me become a student of your word like, like I've never been able to do before. God's going to answer that prayer. Because those are the things that fit right into his heart. And you could go on with the serve. And, you know, I, you don't get a, but, but often the stuff that we're asking for, it's good stuff, but it's not what drove Christ to the planet. Do you know what I mean? It's not what got Jesus out of heaven and here in the first place just to fix, you know, your hung toenail, you know, or, or, you know, or, or to protect you in a car accident, whatever. Those are all good things, but that's not what got Jesus out of heaven. You want to pray with the, in the name of Christ. Ask God for the things that stir the heart of Jesus. And he's going to answer those prayers. And one of the reasons we're not experiencing the greater life is because we're not asking for those things. See, we're more like Joash. Just, just give me a couple of victories so I feel better about my life. Rather than saying, God... Give me a double portion of your spirit so I can annihilate all the stuff that's holding me back from walking completely with you. See, you know, we don't have because we're not asking. And we're asking for the wrong reasons. What are you asking God for? What, what are you asking God for? I think way too many of us are just asking God, well, I just pray that I can get through the end of this month without overdrawing my bank account or that I can fix the spat that I had with my husband last week or I just have a little bit more wisdom on how to handle my kid. Just give me the strength to get through this big project at work right now or whatever it is. And those are all good things. 
Is that really going to unleash the greater living in your life? What are you asking God for? Let's pray for just a minute. I want to give you just a moment to reflect. Just, just give you a brief prayer moment to really say, you know, God, what have I been asking you for lately? I mean, does it line up at all with a notion of greater living? Father, I know, don't know exactly how to pray for all that are here. I do know how to pray for myself this morning. God, I don't want to be like King Joash. I want to be like Elisha. God, I don't want to just ask for some. God, I need to ask for it all. Answer our prayer, Father. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. We always sing a final song in our service that gives us a chance to express our commitment and celebration to God through our gifts of our offerings. And so just in a moment, we're going to stand and sing together and our ushers will come forward and receive our offering. Let's stand and conclude our service through this act of worship.